0: Hello, friends. Today, we are joined by Erin Friel, military spouse, mother, and advocate. She will share a small piece of her story about all three aspects of her life. Hello, you're listening to the Women of Awe, Action, Wisdom, and Excellence podcast. I'm your host, Adrienne Dillard. The Women of Awe podcast is a podcast That celebrates the everyday woman who in her everyday activities has exhibited action when needed, wisdom as required, and excellence as a routine to make life better for herself, her family, and or her community. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode. Welcome, Erin. I am delighted to have you on the Women of Awe podcast. Could you please take a couple of minutes to tell us what it is you do
1: and what you're about? Oh, thank you so much for having me, Adrienne. I really appreciate it. This is an amazing podcast and this is a great opportunity. So I am awed that I get to speak to you all today. I am a military veteran. I left the Air Force in 2005 and I became a military spouse. And when I did, I realized that This was a really underserved community in a couple of particular ways. And so I started working with a group of women, the vast majority of military spouses are women, 92% of us are women. And we started working on some legislation in order to ease some of the burdens that come along with being married to the military In addition, I branched out into healthcare advocacy because my son is physically disabled and also has some learning disabilities as a result of the treatments from his physical disabilities. And what I found was that this whole community and particularly the exceptional family member community within military spouses is underserved. As a result, I then pursued speaking to state legislatures, speaking to the Congress, and making speeches at various congregations. I went across the state of Alaska to make speeches with the Common Ground there, which was a a nonprofit political organization and uh, Unitarian Universalist. I roamed all over the state to advocate for these two very specialized and underserved communities.
0: Erin, that is extremely awesome. And that is why you are here, because you are a servant. And clearly, it seems that you are a servant first. That is where your heart is. Can you tell us a bit more about your advocacy work for the military spouses?
1: Absolutely. So military spouses is a a quiet community. 92% of us are women. Uh, We have a higher education level than the average population, 89% of them have at least some college, 30% have advanced degrees, and 35% have professions requiring professional licensing. Unfortunately, we move anywhere from every year to every three years, and those professions get blown apart. By the frequent moves when you have to be licensed in state to state you know sometimes particularly say you have a teaching license it may take you six eight even 12 months to get your licensing updated in a new state if they don't have agreements to honor previous states and then by the time you get that you maybe have another year it definitely hampers hiring for some companies because they, there's a perception that military spouses won't be there and won't be able to dedicate the time that they would like from an employee. And as a result, even though our employment times would be comparable to the average millennial or Gen Y person, 1.4 years, 2.4 years on average at an employer, military spouses are penalized in the hiring process. And so we end up with underemployment numbers that are really high. In addition, it can be difficult to find childcare. And oftentimes, the housing situation can be very, very difficult for military spouses. What
0: exactly do you, do you do to help them? How do you overcome this challenge? Because it's huge.
1: Right. There are a few programs that the military has set up. That really help form the backbone of a support network. Unfortunately, that support network is only as good as the people that are in it and you, you can get burnout among the community. But for example, the Air Force, which my husband is a member of the Air Force, has the key spouse support network. And so within a unit, you might have three to 10 people, depending on the size of the unit, who are there to answer your questions, be a conduit for information, help you with employment, get you access to services for family support, things like that. In addition, we have pushed some legislation as outside of the military, women have joined together to push for legislation like the Military Spouse Residency Relief Act that passed about 10, 11 years ago. And that was a federal legislation to try to ease some of those licensing burdens. We used to have to change our driver's licenses every single time we moved. And it was costing our family hundreds of dollars to switch cars, switch licenses. And now the other piece of that is trying to get states to honor licensing for professions across. And, and so that is a very slow process. I think we've gotten 27 states to agree so far, but some of the heavily populated military states are the, are the ones that have dragged their feet on doing that.
0: That's, that's ridiculous, but it's tremendous. 27 states, that's a lot, that's over half. I always say that the United States is only united in land. Because Mm -hmm. everything else we do is independent. Each state, we were just talking about this the other day. Why can't there be just a driver's license for the United States? Why do we have to have one for each individual state? I hope you can get all the states to come on board with the licensing, because that would mean a world of difference for military families. Because all military families are not at a high level where they're making a decent income. And it would be a great help for them if they could allow the other spouse to work when they wanted to work.
1: You know, our enlisted personnel in particular oftentimes do not have the economic advantages that the officer corps does. And a dual income is absolutely vital to some of these families. Even some of the junior officers, a second lieutenant with two children would qualify for food stamps and WIC. Oh, my. It's a striking and dramatic difference. And so military spouses should and absolutely could work if the mechanisms were in place to allow them to yes. do so.
0: Hopefully everything will work out for the good for this group because they sacrifice so much for this country. We should do everything we can to help them. And I have a special place in my heart for military families because we were one when we were a new family.
1: Yes, my husband
0: husband was in the Air Force. Let's move on to your advocacy that you're doing for your son and his medical condition. What exactly is involved there?
1: Well, the military has a program that they developed in order to try to better care for what they call exceptional family members, and these are people who need more care than the standard person, you know, beyond a physical every year or beyond the standard childhood aches and pains. My son has three different autoimmune diseases. So he has juvenile arthritis, celiac disease, and he also has um, Hashimoto's thyroiditis. As a result, we're in the doctor more than not. And unfortunately, when you are moving a lot, you end up Behaving as as a parent, as a case manager for your child, and needing to coordinate care across of those. Now, one of the biggest difficulties too is that when you are trying to balance your spouse's career with the needs of your child you know, you can get assigned a place, you can do the research, find out that there's doctors there, and yet you can still be denied to go there because this particular doctor doesn't, you know, a doctor in the review process doesn't think that you should be allowed to go there. The exceptional family member program is absolutely outstanding on one aspect of the program. They have People that are embedded in every base in order to find you resources and help you settle into a place quickly and find the doctors and the resources you need. On the other side, it is known to be a nightmare of a program that stops you from ever, ever going anywhere. We live here at Fort Meade and Fort Meade, of course, is in the greater D.C. area. And so it's it's known as a black hole. You come here you get great medical care, but if you ever want to leave, it's not going to happen because of the exceptionally family member program. I don't know that that's a fair characterization, but it is difficult to, you know, convince doctors that you do have your child's medical care in hand and that most of us are used to working as case managers. And so, you know, educationally, there's a lot of complications as well. Military children, they, they recognize that these kids get uprooted. It is considered an adverse childhood event to move as often as our children do because it's a lack of stability for a child. Educationally, it gets even harder when you add in special needs. That can be a very tough thing.
0: That Yeah, I'm glad you said that. I can't even imagine how you all deal with this. There are just so many obstacles put in place in addition to your major obstacle, which is the health of your child. It's like
1: they give you one thing and then take away six. it's, uh, It's difficult even for neurotypical children or children who don't have extensive medical needs. You know, if you, a typical thing is to receive orders maybe in March and need to report in June to your new location. Well, let's say that you have a child who's gifted and you know the new state that you're moving to doesn't recognize the testing from the previous state you were in and you get there and your child is now going to be thrown into a class that they've already completed that work or what have you, or you know, you're going from Hawaii, which is the 48th state in education, and you're going to Virginia, which is I believe number 12, uh, something like that and your child is going to be behind as a result of that. Those kind of difficulties, um, even trying to sign up for charter schools, oftentimes the charter school lotteries happen nine to 12 months before the advanced start date and your child is out of luck. There is no accommodation for them in many places.
0: What exactly do you do? Do you just deal with it and say, okay, well then you're advanced, but you're gonna have to stay in this below level school. And you're slightly below level, and you're going to have to be in this advanced school, even though you're not prepared, which is setting you up for failure, because you're not prepared for this.
1: Right. Yeah, it's a a huge challenge for military families to try to navigate. There's been, particularly with the pandemic, but even before that, there's been a strong movement towards homeschooling in order to provide stability and curriculum for children. I myself became a homeschooler when we moved to Korea. Um, the schools there weren't, didn't have a particularly good reputation. My son was already medically fragile and we said, okay, you're gonna stay home and learn with mom. But my children, you know, my my oldest is 15 and he's moved eight times in those 15 years. Uh, my Younger son is 12, and he's moved seven times in those 12 years. And the homeschooling has managed to smooth out what would be significant difficulties going from from Korea to Alaska to Alabama to Hawaii to Maryland. That would that all occurred within a five-year period. What? Mm-hmm. We- <laughs> We moved three times in two years.
0: Oh, my.
1: And so those those kind of situations are the kind that lawmakers just can't really even wrap their heads around. In addition, military people are not always the greatest about making their voices heard. We are an apolitical organization, rightly so. Rightly so that the military shouldn't um, be out in the streets marching for one candidate or the other. But what that oftentimes means means is that there's a silent suffering happening behind the scenes that isn't necessarily getting the attention that it needs. And so in the advocacy work that I do, I try to be that well-reasoned voice of saying, you know, I've been part of the officer corps, I am married to a member of the officer corps. If I'm experiencing these difficulties, then what is happening to my junior enlisted, spouses what kind of difficulties are they facing that i'm not even hearing about because they have the added burden of being lower income and not necessarily as respected wrongfully so
0: erin you're bringing tears to my eyes what you're doing is phenomenal because you're right you're in the military it's hard for you to have a voice because you're, you're government-owned, basically, and it's hard to speak up, talk about enlisted people. There's nowhere for them to go, but you're giving them a place to go. You are being that voice for them. How did you find the courage to do this?
1: Oh, you know, that is a fabulous question, and it's one I don't really have an answer to. I, I, I think that... When you see a need, when you see somebody suffering or when you're experiencing that suffering yourself and you look around and you think, I'm not alone. I'm not alone here. And there's there's no way that I can continue to let this happen on my watch underneath me. I, you know, perhaps I didn't know, or now I do know. And, and once you know, can you look away? I don't think that you can. When these spouses, you know, speak about these difficulties and oftentimes bring things to my attention that I was never aware of, I'm gutted that they shouldered that burden for so long. And so I've always been a fan of the story where there's a guy and he falls down in a hole and people are walking by and he's calling for help and he's calling for help. And finally, one of his friends stops by. And his, his friend says, hey, Joe, what you doing down there? And he says, oh, I've fallen in this hole and I and I can't get out and I don't know what to do. And Joe jumps down in the hole with his friend and he says, well, what are you doing? Now we're both in this hole. And he goes, ah, but I've been here before and I know the way out. I've always wanted to be that person for other people and show them the way out of these situations, almost always there's a mechanism in place. The military loves answers. And oftentimes there's answers both within and without the community. And chances are I, I have found it or I've met somebody who found it. I, all along the way I have found wise, wise women in particular who have given me the map and the way out. So I would be remiss if I didn't do the same and share it.
0: Erin, that is fantastic, but since you brought it up, can you give us an example of one of these wise, wise women and what they shared with you?
1: Yes, you know, there was there was a woman who just was so close to my heart. She fought long and hard through the medical system, uh, ended up spending thousands of dollars of their own money and things like that to, in order to fight through fertility issues and have a baby and uh her son was the light of her life well he was he was seven years old when he went to the beach with her in Hawaii and he was swimming and he was having a great time came out of the water said mama I'm really tired I'd like a nap went home uh had a nap and she said after about an hour I thought there must be something wrong and I went in and he had stopped breathing He had actually experienced dry drowning and unfortunately he did pass away i had never been that close to another spouse who experienced such a devastating loss and i had no idea what that process looked like in the military how best to support a person like that and even in the middle of the most devastating thing that a woman can experience she led us all and mentored us all in how to do that better how to surround somebody with sisterhood and with love and make real concrete help and and reach out into the bureaucracy and tick down the boxes and i will say the military is fantastic at situations just like this but in this moment you know none of us had ever dealt with that before and and she showed me the roadmap so that the next time we had a devastating loss, you know, I my husband was a squadron commander and we had an airman pass away on our watch. And, you know, very tough situations with families experiencing the worst thing that can happen to you, right? I think back to her and think about, you know, I am just absolutely staggered that somebody could take the time to say, you know, this is best. Thank you so much for that help. This would be better because it it taught an entire generation of key spouses and women how to go out and support better.
0: Wow. Thanks for sharing that. She, to me, would definitely be a woman of awe. I'm not sure how you deal with the loss. First of all, her struggles to even have a child Mm -hmm. and then to unfortunately lose the child in that way, you're home, you're safe.
1: You think everything's okay. Yeah. It was a, it was a uniquely vulnerable period in her life. And the fact that she opened that part of her life to us and trusted us with that was hugely impactful. I, I just, I don't know that I would have that same grace and ability in that in that moment And I mean you could tell in that moment that she she put all of her heart into this is the way to do this everybody and this is what I need in this moment
0: right? Well thank you for sharing again. What would you consider your biggest challenge in becoming this, advocate and getting accomplished the things that you've accomplished?
1: Well, you know, one of the challenges of being a military spouse is never wanting to hurt your own spouse. And the military, you know, emphasizes that they do not ever, you know, consider a spouse's words or activities or or things like that when they're considering your spouse for promotion or for positions. And I always try to act with the utmost professionalism in dealing with these, but these are deeply personal issues. And these are people that I love and care about. And when you, you know, when you, (laughs) when you're facing down, what feels like a faceless bureaucracy to accomplish safety education, those kind of things, it, it can be very intimidating because you're always concerned that this time I may have overstepped, this time I may have gone too far. What I've learned though, is that stories in particular have wide-reaching impact. No one can argue with a story and they can always put your, themselves into your shoes. So if you can look a lawmaker in the eye and you can say you know a year ago my son couldn't walk a year ago i was looking at social security disability filing for my son to be dependent and we've made huge strides because of this medication but now the military insurance doesn't want to approve it can you please smooth out but help me smooth out the process to get this approved for my son people remember those. They, they can put themselves in the shoes of a parent looking at a child in a wheelchair drawn with suffering and say, well, obviously that's not right. And before I used to focus a lot on facts and figures, I obviously have them at my fingertips. I'm, I'm happy to share these things about my community, about the advocacy work I do, but the story is actually what carries you forward. And so I think that um, when you can convey the power of the story, then in a, in a way you almost become untouchable. It's, you can just say, from my personal perspective, this is what's happening. And nobody can argue with the efficacy of that. And so I have to carry forward with the confidence that my husband is an amazing officer. He can carry forward regardless of what I have to say in this moment. And that the power of my story and the power of the stories of those that I bring forward is too much to deny.
0: The power of the story. You're right. Because that is so personal. And what are you going to say? Oh, no, that didn't happen to you. you. You can't say that. Aaron, you're an excellent storyteller. I've told you this before. If anyone hears any of your stories, they'll here, take all the money, Aaron. <laughs> take,
1: <laughs> what do you mean, Aaron? <laughs> I wish I were like that. Oh my goodness. Yeah, that it would be amazing. But you know, there there are so many as many as milita- as many military spouses as there are, there's that many stories to be right. told. And I'm, I'm grateful that I have the ability to share it. And I'm grateful that I have people like you that want to amplify some of the troubles we face. It's such a, it's a niche community and it's a quiet community, but it's, it's one that when they're supported, they're unstoppable. Yes. It's amazing what they can accomplish. And it's, it's
0: actually a pretty sizable community as well.
1: Yeah, hundreds of thousands of people out there uh, you know just I I marvel at the women I you know my husband hasn't deployed for about 10 years partly because we took what was considered a hardship overseas assignment for four years and I just think about these women that you know have uh, two toddlers tucked under their arms like footballs and their husband's been gone for 18 months in Afghanistan and every day they turn on CNN and, and hope that they're not gonna see a face they recognize. Uh, Incredibly strong group of people. Yes. Tell
0: me, Erin, what's one thing you wish you had known before you started on this journey? Not the life journey, but the advocacy journey.
1: Oh yes, absolutely. I wish I had known in some ways how easy it is. If you can step forward, and you can tell a story. People want to open their doors to you. They want to hear what you have to say and I I wish that I had known that there was a there was many years where I railed against difficulties that were happening around me and I I fought and I cursed and and yet I if I had just walked up to the person in charge and told my story, I might have made it a little farther. And so when I I think there's a natural diffidence sometimes um, among women that we think, well, you know, uh, somebody, somebody knows that this is happening. Somebody is aware. Uh, Somebody understands this or, you know, well, they're just willfully not fixing it because I see it clear as day. And when I kicked open a door and I was prepared to fight, they were like, well, well, why are you here? <laughs> and I'd, I'd explain, you know, I have this and this problem and it's impacting my children. And they'd say, well, oh my gosh, let's fix that. And I, so the response that I've met with in my advocacy work has actually been phenomenal. And so I try to elevate the stories of those around me and you know uh, the spouses that I come into contact with and I try to advocate for them to also advocate for themselves yes it's in some ways you know is it is it always easy you know I, I sometimes shake in my boots when i have to stand up and give a talk that i know is going to go out on you know public radio for an entire state but when i do Inevitably, I have an avalanche of support behind me. And so if we can push ourselves to tell our stories, then I think we might be surprised by what results.
0: It is that power of the story. Mm -hmm. The story can move mountains. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. All right. I'm going to give you a couple of minutes to talk about anything you would like to share with us.
1: Oh, goodness. There's, there's so much, uh, you know, the, the tough part, I think about being a woman of awe. I I love the premise of your podcast. First of all, I love the premise of, you know, action, wisdom, excellence. I'm always striving for wisdom. I reach for excellence, but the only way to actually do that is through action. And they don't have to be big. I think that's a misconception that a lot of women, particularly, fall into is that, well, if I'm not Erin Brockovich, if I'm not Kamala Harris, then I'm not gonna make any impact. And it's actually those small actions every day. You know, it can be as small as making a meal for a new mom. It can be as small as reaching out and touching somebody that you never would have talked to previously and putting yourself out there. It can be you know, mentoring a, a group of women through the difficulties of the Exceptional Family Member Program when they get enrolled. It, it can be all of these small things. It might take you 20 minutes in a day and you don't think that they add up, but they absolutely do. And so when women can choose action, you know, that is the path to wisdom. And the goal is excellence, right?
0: I agree. I agree. That was lovely. Once again, Aaron, I could sit here and listen to you talk all day. Unfortunately, we don't have all day.
1: <laughs> but- Well, I have uh, finished your podcast for- <laughs> For a couple of hours. I listened to them all just boom, 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 right in a row. They were awesome. Did they really? Oh no, <laughs> no one does that. <laughs> oh no, it was fantastic. I, you have some impressive women on this podcast. So I'm humbled that I'm, that I was considered part You're of it. Kidding?
0: You are the exact person that I would want you are the exact type of person. I, and it's like what you said, I want women to recognize those small things that they do have an impact. Those small things that they do are excellent and yes we do gain wisdom as we do these excellent small things more often but be proud of that small thing that you did because Mm -hmm. you impacted someone somehow in some way don't trivialize or diminish what you do
1: no absolutely you know I think we soften and we oftentimes hold back or we or we try to shove ourselves into a smaller space, take up less space. And instead recognize that it may be a small action, it's a big impact and you yourself deserve to occupy the space in the world. Yes, perfect. And
0: I'm gonna stop right there. That's a fantastic closing. But Erin, as I said, I could talk to you forever but I know you have things to do and I do. I truly appreciate you joining me today. I can't thank you enough because what you're doing for the military spouses, what you're doing for the medical military community is tremendous and it is having fantastic impact on all of them from the bottom to the top. And I'm glad that you decided to be an advocate for them.
1: Oh, thank you so much. I I appreciate it. And, you know, anything that um, anybody would like to know about these communities, they should feel free to reach out to me and and ask because I can endlessly talk all day. I could probably take up three hours of your podcast.
0: (laughs) And I'm glad that you said that because how can we connect with you?
1: Oh, you know, I have, um, you can absolutely reach me at my email, C-E-F-R-E-E-L at gmail.com i'm afraid i am not a social media person and so definitely my email is the best way to reach me
0: don't apologize for that (laughs) all right erin i will let you go but thank you again for joining us it has truly been a pleasure and hopefully i'll see you again soon
1: absolutely thank you adrian you're very welcome
0: thank you for joining me on the women of Awe, action wisdom and excellence podcast if you are a woman of action or know of one who you think would be a good fit for the podcast, please contact me via email, womenofaw at adriandillard.com, women of awe, A-W-E, at adrienne A-D-R-I-E-N-N-E, dillard, D-I-L-L-A-R-D, dot com. Or you can post to our Facebook page. Always remember to be the best you that you can be. That is the best path to excellence. I hope you can join us next week. Please don't forget to support us by subscribing.